Hey, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Hey. What's up, world? Hi. What's up? Um, We're live. Should we do a little uh, lockdown update? Do you still feel locked down? Yeah, I think there's like, we're opening up here in Canada. So people are like, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the United States. That's like most of the <laughs> news rhetoric. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of fear. Like, what, believe it or not, America has like an influence over the fears of other countries. Like, oh, it could be as bad as that. So uh, yeah. there's a lot of like, we got to... When you were growing up, was it the opposite? Is it like... You looked at the U.S. more in an aspirational, like you looked up and now you look down at the U.S.? Not really, because when I was growing up, uh, the first Iraq war, um, like the, you know, first George Bush. Operation Desert Desert Storm Storm was happening. And my friends and I, some of my earliest memories were hanging out in the schoolyard being like, that's fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. And I I don't even know why I had this kind of political awareness, but I guess that was like the major news story. No, it was big, because I wasn't so politically aware, but I remember that was on the news, and like, even what kind of helicopters they used, or like, it it, it was, there was a lot of... uh, press about it yeah and even then i remember we took our um a little a few years later like so that was when i was like 10 a few years later i was 13 or 14 i think i've told this story before on the on the podcast and this is not like talking down to america and certainly not presenting canada as like the savior but we went i was in an american studies class and we went down to the u.s and we you know you take a bus and you stop at road stops along the way and um even like as a 13 year old or 14 year old at the time, I was like really painfully aware that the service industries in the United States, because everywhere we'd go get food, we were served by by black people. And we felt and it, it felt really uncomfortable. I can remember mm. feeling racial tension and it um, yeah. and we were a pretty multicultural yeah. class. But like. Um, yeah, anyway, I hadn't felt that kind it of racial tension before. When I grew up, we, you know, my mom's from Brazil, and you go to Brazil, and it's, it's very racially divided. The, the class is racially divided. And, uh, but it's, it's, just, it's not a first world country, so your expectations are less. And then coming to the U.S., you think like, oh. And you find out it's more like Brazil than it is like Europe in a lot of ways. Like it. it yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think what I realized when I moved to the U.S., because um, I went to school for three years in Syracuse. So, you know, that road trip to, you know, extended a little further down the highway and I lived there for three years. I realized that whatever, you know, happened in Canada, you know, the U.S. was 10 times bigger. So the problem would be like 10 times more noticeable. So we had the same problems in Canada. I was just ignorant of them. But in the U.S., it would be like it's like a, a sine wave. The wave was just like higher, and yeah, and and the, the the upside is higher, and the downside is higher. Yeah, and so I guess people learn to either tune it out or just accept it as part of you know this massive you know ship um, that's hard to steer. Um, I'm you know obviously and the other it thing. It is funny. You know, I, I remember some podcasts, some comedians talking about U.S. and Canada and all that stuff, and they're like, yeah, you know, you you can talk about. Healthcare and education, all that stuff, but Toronto is no New York. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> and, it wants the, to be though. Like that, that. No, I know, it, yeah. I know, I know. But and I think things are different now. But when you think of cultural impact and where you want to be as an artist and energy and yeah, music sure. and all this, and I think New York is still coasting on the the, the glory days from the eighties when there was a lot of affordable artist studios and whatever. But right. 
the cultural impact of Toronto, I, it would be hard for me to say like, oh, that's that's a, a school of painting that came from Toronto, or that's a, a mm. style of music that came. But maybe I'm just uh, no. I mean, um, except that like comedy, you know, the way we know it today, uh, probably coasted out of the. Um, we were coasting on that record from the '80s, so Toronto comedy and Toronto music to a certain extent in the last yeah. decade. Um, uh, has sustained like broad American cultural movements. So the Second City, right, um, really made waves in Toronto to start. That became Saturday Night Live, um, and that whole format was invented by Canadians. Uh, there was a, sh- yeah. a show here yeah. called SCTV that kind of got that whole sketch comedy on television thing started. But um, not saying, not like discounting the work of Carol Burnett and other people in the United States, but like the, what we consider now to be like formulaic comedy came from Toronto. And then yeah. I think um, more recently, like, yeah, whatever you considered the mid, yeah, early 2000s kind of style of rock music, like emo, uh, broken social scene type indie. indie music, that really was a lot of people I knew, friends of mine. And the funny thing about, I think it's a good segue into this movie, is like, I did participate in that culture, but I really in no way, I'd, in no way identified with it personally, because it was like... No. You were into technology. Yeah, exactly. And the, and there was this wave, a cultural wave in Toronto that was about when I, at least when I was lo-fi in... Lo-fi recording. Yeah, lo-fi recording. Yeah. yeah. And just like authenticity in a way that made me cringe um, that I, yeah, I didn't yeah, accept. Yeah. I rejected it. And so... You're like, the Beatles did that better. Why do we repeat <laughs> ourselves? Yeah, yeah exactly. But, uh, I, but, I, but, I but before we segue into the movie, I just wanted to say that one of the first episodes of this podcast was about uh, being from small countries yeah. uh, in, in, in quotes because Canada is obviously not a small country but it's not a cultural capital the same way uh, New York or London is and I wonder if that equation has totally shifted now that if you're going to art school and you're choosing where to go you might prefer a smaller city and then if you want to set up base and you're so online based that's maybe the segue into this mm. movie but if young artists right now, if everything's online anyways, what is the power of of a metropolis still? No, it's true. I mean, I went to grad school in, a, like I said, upstate New York, and I actually think it was a gift. And it 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 was, I I hit grad school probably if it was a little bit later it would have been even better. But just as like internet video became possible, and that actually helped launch my. Um, you know, minor leagues career for sure, but it really did help establish my identity, which I think is the the major uh, concern. Yeah, for that was week. the moment, your formative moment. Yeah, you know, kind of you get your, your opportunity to reinvent yourself a few times in your life. And that was the point at which I had a radical opportunity to reinvent myself, like not in my home country. Yeah, I keep trying to reinvent myself and having an occupation that involves the beach but i can't think of something <laughs> i think you figured it out i don't think you need to reinvent anything but um no no but i, I, I it there's this dutch sculptor who makes these uh, big kinetic sculptures that only work at the beach with the wind and it just seems like a really fun life <laughs> oh i know exactly what you're talking about because i showed them to my my parents because I, I my parents have a, a beach cottage to be to, uh, to be honest and I make sculptures out of driftwood. You, you, you dirty, privileged person. Well, no, no, but regardless of that, like, there's driftwood that comes in, and then I tend to like accumulate the driftwood and then make sculptures. What do you up. do with it? I yeah. usually make structures and like, li- like different kind of. Sh- yeah, I've only made a few, but like different sort of 
Um, it sounds super cheesy, like driftwood sculptures on the beach. But they like them. And then I was like, well, you should see what this guy does. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah you suck. <laughs> yeah, Tio Janssen. Yeah. 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 They're like living yeah. creatures. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But, but uh, yeah, technology growing up, creativity online, eighth grade. Eighth grade. And directed by a stand up comedian. So, you know, kind of. Uh, interesting in that he's kind regard. of a musical stand-up comedian right bo burnham yeah he's uh yeah. and he but it, his his name sounds like a vaudeville actor or something <laughs> it's true well the funny thing is i know a guy named like who's called bo i, I know name. one other bo he's like 90 years old bo burlingham and he yeah, that's what i mean Small it sounds giant. like from the 20s <laughs> yeah yeah but it's uh the double b his stand-up comedy like pro- he got his start on youtube actually as like a as a corollary to uh, what we were just talking about and you know was it one of the first viral sensations for his unique style of um of comedy on youtube which i would characterize as like the opposite of improv <laughs> it's like the most scripted sort of tight like um yeah to your point actually like theater or theatrical performance very very like um like i'm going to show you i'm in control and a bunch of jokes are about how he's so in control or whatever but apparently he's like super stressed out and so he decided to make this movie um about his i mean that that online performer lifestyle i think is uh there's so much pressure to the the more often you post the better it's clear and then the more you're engaged with your audience, so it's better if you're just replying to people 24-7. And it's this weird model where time spent is more productive, and it I think it's destructive to the point where it has nothing to do with creation anymore. It's a point, you're like a, a hamster in a hamster wheel. Well, I think it's interesting, yeah, just to set up the premise of the film. It follows... Um, uh, a little girl named I say little girl. Like it's like well she was thirteen year old. Yeah, girl. she's thirteen or fourteen. She's in the last week of her eighth grade. Uh, the last year of middle school for our European friends, uh, the U.S. and I guess Canada. Uh, what in Europe is just high school from age twelve to eighteen is separated into two different schools in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I guess Canada. Yeah, and she's played. So she's she, yeah. She's on the verge of going from middle school to high school. Yeah, she's played by Elsie Fisher, who is an actual uh, eighth grader at the time uh, they made the movie. She was just about to go into ninth grade. Yeah, we were talking about in the 80s, you had all these high school movies with 40-year-old actors. (laughs) Yeah, and so actually in this film, which follows... Revenge of the Nerds. You know, just follows kind of slice of life, her um, in these weeks, um, they actually cast the whole movie from kids at this one high school, or this one middle school, rather. Um, And so most of the cast is actually um, from that school. Yeah, with with the exception of some of the, the, the lead kids um elsie fisher played you know who's kayla in the movie um this like shadowing girl named emily robinson who's in high school mentor that kind of shows elsie that people can be kind um the dad this guy uh josh hamilton and then there's a, a crush named uh gabe who comes along later in the or not a wins crush the prize but, for most beautiful eyes oh no like i was thinking um does he win that prize 
The, yeah, it's like him and the, and the girl who throws the pool party. In the beginning of the movie, oh. they, they hand out the awards, and she gets an award for being most quiet. Yeah, sorry, Riley. Gabe is the guy that um, later they have a date, and they eat um, chicken Oh, the nerdy they guy. Eat chicken yeah, nuggets the, together, yeah, the yeah, nerdy yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, like the you and me guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the... What was I going to say? I think like just as at the outset, it's interesting because we've talked a lot about realism on the podcast and um, this is... Yeah, like the same way Il Posto felt real. Yeah, but the bizarre, bizarre, bizarre thing, obviously, is that this is directed by, um, you know, a stand-up comedian known for, you know, this in a hyper real polish. Um, but this movie feels very improvised. And I think like I know or I know that from, you know, interviews... Um, Elsie Fisher, who plays Kayla, was like kind of felt like she was able to flex the lines and co-write. So it's just you know it's interesting to see. It isn't I saw the movie twice. I saw it when it came out in the theater, and then I watched it yesterday to prepare for this episode. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I remember thinking a lot about being a performer, whether you're with friends or whether you're on YouTube, and that idea of seeking approval and please like and subscribe, please like my work, which. I think you see interviews with Bo Burnham and he has songs about like, I'm an artist, I want attention, give me attention. Mm -hmm. So that was my first read. And then yesterday, watching it with the, my wife, it was more of like, wow, it's so intense being a girl and the pressure from boys and the pressure to fit in. And I don't think boys feel the same pressure to fit in. And I read it more from that angle. Interesting. So. Well, you know, yeah, Bo Burnham said he, he was feeling anxiety over his internet uh, self and performing constantly. And yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. It's not like you're selling hot dogs; you're selling yourself. Yeah, and, but like I think one uh, like excellent point. I just want to get out. Like I'm now self-declaring excellent points. <laughs> one one of the things that I heard uh, him say that I think is a great point is that there were no, um, there's been no, there have been very few, if any, movies about the what it feels like to grow up with the internet, right? Like yeah. point blank, like. We were 30 years in, into mainstream internet, and no one is making movies about. No, they all what made movies like. about like the, hacking the Pentagon and uh, like swordfish and the net and whatever. Yeah. And but this is the very personal experience. Yeah, and I think for me, like obviously, I've always promoted that the internet, you know, gives us this tremendous power to be famous. But if you're like, you know, for us to for more voices, for more culture, for just like to disrupt or turn the pyramid upside down. However, if you're at the bottom of the pyramid and you're still coming to terms with your identity, um, I suppose this movie yeah, exposes what that feels like, right? And and it would be lying to say, and it's really interesting to hear that Bo made this movie as like a world-famous comedian who felt the same way as Yeah, well, that was my grade. first read of the movie because the movie starts with her YouTube confessions. She makes these videos where she talks about confidence and being yourself. And she records herself in her bedroom, and she yeah. she tries to do all the YouTube tropes. So she has a like tagline at the end, yeah. and and then you see the view count, and it's like one or three two. viewers, zero zero views per video, and and I don't know anyone who's an artist. You you're putting yourself, you're making work for yourself, but then you also exhibit it. Well, you, some people yeah. don't exhibit, but then you have the opening and some projects are more successful than others and you're basically always saying like what do you think you're not you're not literally telling people what do you think but putting stuff out there is a, a very vulnerable position of course because you're seeking validation especially that at that yeah. age like then, how should i behave right 
I mean, I, I made tons of videos as a teenager with friends, stupid stuff. Either stop motion or we would dress up and make little movies. And thank God we didn't put any of it online. It was just for yourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would watch it together and then maybe a year later and then we just throw away the tape because who cares? Yeah, yeah. And it, this movie is also interesting that it was at a particular moment when there was the transition from Instagram to Snapchat and then YouTube is more the permanent place and then there's more the ephemeral video chat or selfies. And and I think we've grown past, I think a lot of teenagers now know not to put anything online permanently. Well, they still talk about like Snapchat and uh, as the forum for nudes and stuff on in the in the movie, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Should we run the, the plot a little bit for people who haven't seen it or... Yeah, I mean the plot, but the plot plot basically is a coming of age plot. So yeah. you know, it's her coming to terms. Well, it, I think one thing to to they don't they they only talk about it at the end of the movie. But she's growing up just with her dad. The mom is not present, and she doesn't have any siblings. So she's already very alone. And I think that's like and a then, common family unit these days, right? Like it wouldn't be. It's no longer like non-normative. No, to, I know, but yeah. it, you never see the mother, so you're not sure what happened. Like, if parents divorce, then half the week you're at your mom's, yeah. and half the week you're at your dad's. But she had no female figure in in, in this movie. Yeah, no role models. Role model. Yeah, and no friends. She had, like and no friends, yeah. like zero friends, which that's very extreme. But coming from that background, you say it's extreme, but like if I was to channel my own childhood, I definitely felt that way. Like I wasn't really, I really didn't belong or I didn't feel like I belonged with the but friends. But you that didn't I have friends over or do projects with friends or things like that. I sort of did, but I just didn't believe it. Like I was like, mm, I don't think these people like me. <laughs> like Honestly, I, uh, you know, okay. and, but, but, yeah. but you have siblings. Yeah, I did. I had, had lots of, siblings. I, I'm saying as far as like setting up a character and setting up a plot, it's a very extreme situation. Sure. She doesn't even have like an older brother who's a bully or whatever there's like nothing yeah yeah and the father is really trying to reach out and she's just always has her headphones in she doesn't want to hear anything she just wants to be on the internet yeah i mean all i yeah i think all i wanted to do is be on my walkman and, and on my computer when i but like not to to say it's like that i'm this little girl i have this theory <laughs> and i don't know if it's true and yeah. i don't have any data but the Growing up in the U.S. and uh, maybe also Canada is a lot harder than growing up in Europe. But uh, I mean, we have no data to prove it. But already the idea that you can hop on your bicycle and go somewhere, and you can't do that if you live in the suburbs. If you're in North America, I mean, yeah, it's a big, big difference. Well, I, I grew up in the inner city of Toronto, and which is not a rough inner city by, by any stretch, but like. My um, older sister's uh, friend was like raped and murdered when I was uh, the age of this um, this character, and so we actually were not allowed to go outside. And um, yeah, that's why yeah, we weren't. Yeah, we weren't allowed to kind of like socialize with in in the neighborhood. So it was very yeah, exciting. yeah. So the, I I think there's a, a dehumanizing aspect to like the only social space is the mall and. It, I'm biased because I grew didn't grow up in it, but it just seems that way. Going visiting people in the suburbs the first time, I, I'd seen so many suburbs in movies, mm -hmm. and then seeing it for the first time, and it's like, okay, there's the house and it's very comfortable, but you can't walk anywhere, and it's such a strange feeling. Mm -hmm. And then you can hop in a car, and everything's corporate. It's true. That, it's I mean, throughout the movie, the car plays a part in her access to autonomy, right? Like. Dad, can you drive me here? Or I'll get a ride home. Anyway, it's like... Um, yeah, she's not in control of, of transportation. So she is at a party and she really wants to leave. And I just grew up like 
if you don't like it, you get your bicycle and you go elsewhere. Yeah, it's not that complicated. So that that, and it's the same. Uh, did you ever watch American Graffiti? Mm-hmm. Yeah, movie? yeah, yeah. And it's one of George Lucas's first films about teenagers in the fifties, and he came from an anthropology background, and he was interested. That was the first time in human history that the human mating ritual involved cars. That the car was part of your identity and was part of meeting people and showing your power or your attractiveness. And so the car is so instrumental. And then when you're 13, you just don't have access. Yeah. So I think in, in, in this movie, power for this uh, eighth grader comes in the form of um, her identity or brand or personal brand on the internet. And, she had- and especially the, the, the software that, enhances you that uh, makes you more cute and you put all kinds of effects and you look better and yeah i thought they did a really good job so it's actually the real internet it's not like the dumbed down or overlaid or simplified yeah, it's not a fictional interface yeah you see the real ui apparently they actually it's all she's actually on the internet performing when the screen changes you see the change on her face one well, of the nice things i think is that yeah you know when someone's actually using an interface there's you see the real emotion and reaction. There have been artists yeah. that have explored what that looks like. but It's it's funny because when you watch this movie, you wouldn't think about it like, oh, the interface is so well done or whatever. It just feels natural. Mm-hmm. But then when you watch a movie where it's fake, it, it really stands out. Yeah, it's cringe-inducing. I mean, you know how I, I believe that you got to make it real because this is the thing you're performing for, right? So it's like... I think in terms of lighting, it's quite hard to film... Uh, a hand and a face and a, and a screen and have everything lit well. And I think that's why a lot of times they do the interface mm-hmm. in post-production. What I thought was kind of interesting, though, is like, so this plot does not follow. Um, it's not a plot where she's being actively bullied on the Internet or, you know, those are familiar tropes from the she's media. She's more ignored than bullied. Yeah. Today. And so it really ends up being, I think, more like not more, but it's a different feeling that hasn't been expressed in films. The feeling that Sherry Turkle talks about of being alone together, right? Like that you can be yeah. isolated even when you're surrounded by people. And, and this precedes COVID. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course we have to say that, that would be true of, of everything. But like it, it definitely like um, the feeling of isolation, I think, yeah, it's even it, it probably even more accented. I can't imagine being an eighth grader right now. But at one point, I think she goes to a pool party. She's invited to um, a friend's pool party because the mother has a crush on the dad. And, um, but it's the same, they, I think the director Bo does a pretty good job of like taking the physical world and making it an analog for what you feel online. Yeah. Isn't this the the first successful, uh, software IRL combo movie? I don't, yeah. I mean, I think that because it's a very big cinematic problem when, if you see the new James Bond movies. James Bond is about spying, and of course now all spying is online, and that's very hard to convey electronically. So they they try to like, oh, there are hackers and they have a laptop, and it, it it feels like they're trying to fix an old model that's not working anymore. Well, the problem they have is the screens inside of screens problem, right? So yeah, yeah. I think that. But somehow yeah. in this movie, uh, it's it's all very natural. Teenagers holding phones, and a teenager in a dark room, and their screen being lit by a phone. And it, yeah. you know how in a lot of movies you see people on their phone and then there's a text bubble sort of interface floating above Yeah, them. yeah, I hate that. Yeah. I saw that first and, and I think like... Um, but a big part of why I wanted to watch this movie with you is uh, we watched uh, The King of Staten Island, which was dealing with uh, not mental illness, but what it, mental health. Mm-hmm. 
and and pretty like Pete Davidson is such a charismatic character that you you don't you don't feel his pain. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, he's just a cool guy. Yeah. And I think this movie, it, uh, I watched it with a couple of people. Like we started the movie, and a lot of people turned it off because it was so co- uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. Actually, I was squirming. Uh, like yeah. I had to look away at times, which is bizarre. Um, did you watch it with Kristen? I did. Yeah, she really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, I think. But that level of emotional intensity, it, which I think teenagers have very intense emotions. I think the movie really succeeded in the in conveying the teenage experience. I think not only that, but like the uh, the cringiness for me also comes from the seeing someone in the naive position. You know, they're eventually going to grow out of. But like the sincerity of those moments is aggravating. Well, it's the same when you watch a baby trying to walk and you know that in six months the, the baby will walk, but they're like stumbling in the beginning. Yeah, it's and you want to help, but you can't, you know? you know, Like it's this, I'm sure, yeah. And she and the yeah, way... the dad keeps trying to tell her, you're so cool, yeah. I believe in you, you're so cool. And the film sort of plays with that by structuring um, the narrative around her t- giving, recording like um, sort of time capsule videos for herself when she's older. So she like watches a video that she made when she was just about to get into middle school about, you know, advice or what I hope for you when you're, you're, you're in graduating eighth grade. And then she makes at the end of the movie, they bookend that with a mo- uh, She records a video of, Hey, you're 18. Now you're about to go into college. Here's what I hope for you. Don't worry about this. She gives herself advice. I think that, um, that bookending kind of captures that feeling nicely. Like, is it, it, it evokes kind of the audience's, um, tension, which is like, oh, I just can't stand this. Like that, that is a read that is hopeful, but it's not always realistic. Like <laughs> some people shine in high school and have a shitty life afterwards. Exactly. Some people the other way around. But there's also people who are just anxious and self conscious and low self esteem their whole life. And that never not, goes away. Yeah. There's not some magic. There's a general American movie theme of like. There's struggle, and then there's victory. Well, that's, that's true, and I, and I said this was a coming-of-age movie, but we should, you know, we should mention that, like, the coming-of-age here is not like she becomes the popular girl, is that she sort of recognizes that she doesn't want to become the popular girl. She, yeah. like, talks back to the popular girl and eventually goes on a date with the nerdy, like, um, quiet guy. Uh, and it's such a charming little scene. She goes over to yeah. his house, and they sit down for Chicken McNuggets, like that that's still something she can enjoy at that age. And he's lined up all the sauces and for he, her. And he has Star Wars cutlery. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I, I can remember feeling like um, I didn't, you know, I didn't get invited to the cool parties. So at that age, especially, I remember there started to be these parties where yeah, it was boys. Funny, there were mixed parties meeting, with boys and girls. And there was like always the innuendo that there was going to be sexual stuff happening. And I was like, Oh, I wonder, you know, what's going on. I, w- I, I'm not popular enough to get invited. Of course, I was never invited to those parties, and so there's this like separation between like the cool kids. I, I feel like, in a weird way, because the Netherlands is such an egalitarian place, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. There's also less of a hierarchy in with teenagers. I, you would have to ask other people, but that was my experience. That just everyone in the class would show up at every party. It, it would. <laughs> That's you know, definitely like, not how it works here. I can tell you that. Yeah. But maybe, maybe I was on the uh, on the side that was always invited, and some people weren't. I don't know, but uh, that could be true. But, but I, f- I feel like here's an example. Our lunch was like everybody brings sandwiches, and you eat them standing up in the hallway. So there's no table that you're excluded from. Hmm. 
there's no sitting down because there's no table. So what table <laughs> can sounds, you be excluded from? stressful to eat Sam just standing up there. Oh, no, you just eat it quickly and then you go f- have fun with your friends. And it, so I also think I had a very but I, positive experience in high school, it, it, some frustration. But in general, it, it was like I the, the friend group was diverse. It wasn't like, oh, only those kids hang out with those kids and this kids hang out with this whatever. But were you was, what was your like inquiry around your identity at that time? Like, were you questioning who you were or where you stood in the group? I think and I think my identity was around music at that and, time and and comic books uh, something yeah i was just into punk music and drawing comic books but th- it didn't mean that all my friends were doing the same thing mm-hmm. like it was, some friends were into science and some friends were into sports and some friends were into sailing or whatever i, I don't know yeah well i know i can just remember i uh, you know it would be the slightest little things like so and so got these like patrick ewing shoes like the fact that i can remember that they're patrick ewing shoes like wow i could never get cool shoes my mom would never never let me pay top dollar yeah. for those shoes or more vulnerably like i you know i i had like different crushes at that age on different people at school and someone who definitely was not my crush called me on the phone who had never even considered like similar in this movie to the the nerdy boy and was like i like you you know is the one of those like i like you things mm. and i was like why me? Like, that was my reaction on the, like, why would you like me? And my, I. But you're so social now, huh? Well, the interesting thing is about that age and the kind of thing I wanted to bring up, which I think is a point worth exploring is, you know, is it different to grow up now versus then? But at that age, I was referred to my parents as like nega man or negative man because I was like this fun loving child. And for two or three years, I was extremely negative. And I can remember like the first time I, I didn't spend a happy day at school, all my friends were like, why aren't you smiling? And I was like super bummed out because I kind of started to recognize um, that I wasn't one of the desired, you know, group. Like I wasn't the cool kid. I wasn't the attractive boy. You know, I had, and so it was just like, who am I? You know, you get that existential mm-hmm. crisis and it was at that age and I became really cynical. I was like, what's the point? And I was super uh, depressed. And my, I have two nieces right now who are just going through that. And I can see it. It's like so excruciating to see it in them because they can't see who they are yet. And they they really aren't really anything. This is the other thing I think worth discussing, which is like they're still... But that is a weird idea that you have to be something. Like why... You're a person, isn't that enough? Like, well, it's confidence in, in like in pursuing whatever you want, right? Like becoming whatever you want to become. But it, at that age, I was like into computers for sure. Um but that was also like not it was I, I can't say it was not recognized like i got put into a gifted class just to set up the computers and things like that um but no one was like it's so cool that you are good with computers at the, at that time mm. anyway so i didn't really feel valued um yeah. and it's not like i wasn't loved i'm sure a lot of people what was your look it was like no look i my mom cut my hair which was an unfashionable haircut like i had hand-me-down clothes because like what age are we talking we're talking like 12 13 yeah i remember at school there was like this game that was it's so embarrassing to admit but it was called orgy and the game (laughs) and we would look so forward to recess to play this game which consisted of there are these like tube slides at school and one person would go down the tube slide and block it and then randomly, quote unquote, everyone would jump into the tube so that they could like 
we could be jammed together in this tube and it was called orgy and we'd yell orgy and it was like <laughs> it's so awkward because, but it was just so we yeah. could have physical contact without the social performance you know yeah um and so that's just like to paint a picture of what it was like uh, at least for me at that age which so when i watched this movie was there a moment when you got a look when you were like this is my style of clothing no not until i i, I finished high school like Okay. I kind of went through a grunge period of like just growing like the the best thing that ever happened to me was grunge music in the nineties yeah. because it was like, oh, do less. <laughs> it's like Well, yeah, like, I mean I I grew my hair long yeah. when I was fourteen or something and then I was like, now I don't have to get a haircut. So that was a huge breakthrough for sure. But <laughs> And and then I dyed my hair purple or something when I was fourteen or fifteen and so yeah. but um I remember high school being a lot of fun. Just like cracking up all the time and just stupid jokes and just I always talk about that, that I have a lot of interesting friends that I love talking to you to, to like you and other artist friends and a lot of it is quite serious it's not super serious but but that type of thing when you're 15 and you're talking to people and you're just crying with laughter because mm-hmm. everything's so stupid yeah and you just look at people and make fun of people and everything's so funny stupid yeah that is hard to do when you're older and I, I'm I always think of that as like my pre-professional life yeah I just don't I think like I wasn't in I, I definitely did that in my family unit and I was known as like and then in high school I became the class clown kind of character but yeah. in that in that middle school period it was just a period of like yeah the social anxiety really prevented uh, me from behaving that way at least as I, had, I remember I had more social anxiety the first year of art school because I had a sense of humor that nobody picked up on, and they—I don't know if I told this story before, but we, the first week of art school, we go visit galleries, and I was talking to a few people, and I was like, uh, "Could you leave me alone? I really want to take this work in. It's so great." <laughs> and it was obviously a stupid work. Yeah, but, but they thought I was being serious. Yeah. So it, and I would constantly make jokes, and everybody was kind of like, uh, "And then I really missed my high school friends." Oh, interesting. So this was like... Maybe I peaked in high school. No, I don't think it's about peaking. But, you know, definitely, like, I I think the reason I wanted to bring up that point was, you know, the question about whether or not it's different today. And this movie is a projection of, like, you know, at the time, I guess, like a 28-year-old director's view of an eighth grade girl. But um, I watched it, you know, I was watching this with Kristen, and she's a school teacher. And then I watched, like, on YouTube, like, eighth graders reacting to the movie, and they all evoked, you know, this is accurate. This is what it feels like. That's what my dad's like. That's what the internet's like, and which, you know, was self-affirming in a way, because for me anyway, when I saw this, I was like, it's not that different. Like the internet. So the the point, I guess, that I'm trying to make is like, does the internet really change the social dynamic at that age? And so the the, the commonplace kind of feeling right now is, yes, absolutely it does. My argument would be that if it does anything, it simply makes it more obvious, um, like it's something you can point at uh, that was there all along. Like that I, I, yeah, people have been excluded I, I for, for generations. I think there are fundamental differences. One of the fundamental differences is if you have cringy moments that are recorded forever. I think that's very tricky. And uh, like the, there's, there's extreme examples of people becoming a meme and being made fun of by the whole world and then killing themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty extreme, but the, I don't think the same way the human brain has a hard time having empathy for the entire planet. So if you just watch CNN all day and see like everyone in pain around the globe, mm-hmm. that's too much to handle. Right. And so also the idea of like 
let's say you're at home with your family and you, you slip on a banana peel and people laugh and then they talk about it a, a year later. Oh, that was really funny. Mm-hmm. Then imagine becoming a viral meme and the rest of your life is like, oh, are you the banana guy? Yeah. And, you know, that's extreme. No, and the point and, and, you know, the point is taken because suicide rates are apparently way higher among this age group now than they were when I was and a there's, kid. Yeah, there's also the, the problem of only recording the great moments and then all the envy that comes with that. It's like, wow, their life is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And then feeling down because you can never... Uh, work your way up to such a perfect such perfection i think the you know my point though i think is that i you know when you're in middle school or high school or whatever you're inside of a bubble like a social bubble and that little society um behaves like a network or an internet that you're a part of right like i would i would say the isolation is there the internet does not make it better or worse it just reflects it and then I would say this is like this is just me thinking out loud, but I would say after you get out of that network, like you're like finished university or college or whatever, or maybe you finish high school, whatever your your final destination. Until unless you get into a job like where there's social networking happening, um, the first feeling is like again that isolation. Like, like yeah, the art world reminded me a lot of high school. Yeah, yeah, like I, that's why I think like. I was watching this movie, and I don't know if let me put it this way: the the art world didn't feel like my high school, but it felt like an American high school. There's definitely cliques, (laughs) for sure. Like, and you have to figure out where you fit in. You have to like figure out your personal brand. Well, the best is if you figure out that you don't care. That's that's always the best attitude. Yeah, but that's easier said than done, right? It's like that's like. yeah, but that's why net art. Like, okay, I don't care if uh, if you open the door for me. I have my own door. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, which is that you know I mentioned that you know has anyone made artwork about what um, it feels like, what the internet feels like? Well, of course they have, right? Like, there's been generations of of internet artists that have done that. Um, now, like, there are obviously formal expo- explorations within the realm of internet art, um, and then there are works that do explore some like theoretical or political positions. But then I thought it might be interesting to discuss internet artworks that, and whether there, what are some good examples of ones that yeah, actually explore. Mouchette feeling. sort of explored that. Yeah. Let's talk about Mouchette. Yeah. I don't know the work that well, but uh, I know that she took on the identity of a 15 year old girl on the internet. Mm-hmm. Do you know more about the work? <laughs> we shouldn't have brought it up. Well, like I think what I wanted to bring up is that it's it's relatively rare that we've actually privileged that type of work. Like I might refer to Anne Hirsch um, more recently, who exposed her like eighth grade diaries on the internet, like her, um, you know, sort of uh, what were they called, like. Uh, there was like these diary websites early on. Live journal? Live journal. Yeah, her live journal sites. But early on, there were actually quite a few of these. And it's a funny piece of um, internet history that's gone gone missing. Um, and Anne did her best to like kind of portray, hey, this was what it was like to be um, a teenage girl or a young woman um, on the internet and what it felt like. And these were my honest, earnest thoughts at that time. I- the only thing I want to reply immediately, like the feeling that comes up, is that movies are so much better at displaying feelings than art. I think art is a different state of mind that is more more long-term and more 
contemplative and more vague and ambiguous. And I think movies are just so good at playing your emotions mm -hmm. that when art tries to do the same thing, like, oh, we want to do the, I want to make an exhibition that feels like the movie Apocalypse Now. It's like, there's a reason that works so well in movies. Yeah, I guess. I mean, like... And, the, and, and, and if you try to convey the feeling of a Richard Serra installation in a narrative film, that's hard to do. So each each realm has its own pros and cons. Right, like a, a mu music could make you cry, but it, it uses different methods to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and art has a silence that is hard to do in music. Mm -hmm. I mean, art, of course, can transcend all these forms. And like, we, we could argue the eighth grader or eighth grade, rather, is is art. Um, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Own. Well, but but let's say uh, the exhibition or the film. Like, if you if you go to those two, yeah, and extremes. You know, the the, the 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 problem with watching a movie that's more than ten minutes in an exhibition. Most people don't do it. So, mm -hmm. uh, all those things. Yeah. No, it's just interesting to think about though that um, you know it's hard for me to. Th like some of my earliest internet experiences would potentially be the seed of uh, artworks, but I haven't really been willing to get that vulnerable. So like my first sexual experience was in chat rooms um, with like what must have been much older people of I don't even know what gender, but I was just like very excited at the idea of... Um, like a sexual exchange in text format. Mm -hmm. um, With ASCII symbols. Yeah, like this is in the 90s. Um, my parents would like... Miranda July made... There was that movie Miranda July made with like a child being very dirty on the internet with someone else. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like poop back and forth. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a certain like catfishing that can happen too, but like... My, my internet experience was so different. What was it? It was just... The first thing, we got dial-up in 96 or something, and the first thing I tried was, like, the things I was already interested in, find more information on that. So I was interested in uh, <laughs> comics and lyrics of music, so I tried to find that. Yeah. And then I quickly found all these examples of Dutch net art, which was just abstract noise experiments and being really overwhelmed with the mm. the vividness or the, the, the aliveness of using the screen in that way and not trying to mimic anything from the real world. So uh, just seeing blocks of color moving up and down and hearing uh, drum sounds and crashes. And, and I was like, wow, that is so amazing. I hope one day I'll be able to achieve that kind of uh, digital literacy that I could create things like that. And it turned out to be not as hard as I thought. Did you get into, you must've been really into MIDI music. I, I remember there were all these sites where yeah. you could like download MIDI. Oh, well, this is an example of MIDI music and being 15. Yeah, that's my experience with the internet. It's just like sitting behind the computer with other people and then finding the MIDI version of Eye of the Tiger and then just <laughs> crying with laughter because it's so stupid. Yeah. And like that, my experience is not like being in a chat room asking someone, uh, does God exist? It's no, just finding silly stuff and just crying with laughter. So you were social um, in that sense. Like, well, I, I remember always like being on the internet with someone next to me. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, that's weird. Like, I think it came for and, me. And a chat was never a part of it until very late. Like, it, so no, I didn't get email until 2000 or something. No ICQ? Like, that was the big thing breakthrough no, for no, me. No. Uh oh. Uh, okay. But I, I, I really think growing up in, in Europe, you're, it, like my best friend was living next door and the other best friend was like three minutes away. I, I think you don't get on chat then. Mm. 
I mean, that my first chat experiences again that were not anonymous, like that were with people I knew, were also like charged with the same emotion that I felt in this film, where you know you're waiting for that reply, you're trying to say something funny. Like it's also where I think, in an unhealthy way, I started to build um, a persona around like pleasing or entertaining others because coming back with a coming back with like a witty thing to say in a text chat. I was like so committed to that goal. Like, oh, whatever they say, like I'm going to blow them away with my response. <laughs> and I, this is still a big part of my personality that is not not a good thing, I think, because I have this feeling that I always have to be entertaining. And even at that age, I was angry about it because like that day where I didn't smile and I was like, why aren't you smiling? It's this feeling that like I can fucking be sad if I want to, right? Like, but yeah. I took on this responsibility of entertaining or making other people happy. And it was interesting to see, like, I don't know if you followed Bo Burnham's comedy on the internet, but he's like pretty cranky <laughs> about um, well, his own, because his own mental health has been degrading for many yeah. years. And it, he attributes it to this feeling that it's a stereotype, obviously, in, in, in the entertainment of like, you entertain people at your own expense. So to help them feel but it's, better. It's such a, it, it's funny we're talking about technology. There's also the, the zeitgeist and the noosphere and things like that. So there's a protest generation of flower power in the 70s. And then 10 years later, all the punks are like, that shit didn't work. The world actually got worse. So let's just destroy everything. And entertainment at that point was like, mm. find the most offensive thing possible. Well, super normative. Yeah. No, uh, how, how is it super? Oh, no, the it, entertainment like, prior to that point, like, had been. No, I'm talking about uh, uh, punk bands just going oh, on yeah, stage yeah, yeah. and singing, like, let's kill everyone, let's destroy everything. Uh, nothing. That's the opposite it, of It was such yeah. a different mindset being a teenager and just trying to antagonize everything as opposed to collecting likes. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see old videos of Lydia Lunch or the Sex Pistols being on tour and everyone's throwing bottles at them. Yeah. And then teenagers were aspiring to be that, and they weren't aspiring to be Kim Kardashian and create a business and a makeup line. <laughs> but you I know th- that's a very different mindset. I mean, I might argue that I think um, that was the like branding of. I mean, early punk maybe is exceptional, but later, you know, the punk um, mantra or philosophy did become like lucrative for lots of people. The same way, you know, grunge music or you know, like, you mean like Green Day, like. Kurt Cobain obviously killed himself over (laughs) these personal conflicts. I'm laughing. Ah, Kurt Cobain, he's dead. (laughs) However, you're right. Like Green Day monetized it. Um, Yeah, but but the the point is that at its core, uh, growing up in a certain era, like if your idol is uh, let's do heroin until we die and see what happens, or your idol is like I want to start a makeup empire, that's a very different frame of mind. No, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, there, there's this like idea, the brand, like we're, but we're set. We're like twenty years, like seeking approval. Yeah. And and if you grow up, in, even even the beatniks were not seeking approval. Yeah, but they're I, trying to provoke. Uh, well, here's the thing. Like, uh, I'll at least go back twenty years to when I started my career. My first job was in like youth research and marketing and consulting. Right, so. Hung out with like eight. Talk about a cringy term. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like before influencer marketing, we had like, we talked about influencers. But um, in that job, what I learned was, uh, and this is 20 years ago, at that, at that, like this is, yeah, it's at least 20 years ago. And so like, but the kids wanted so much 
to be a part of major brands and be like in control of those brands that they would talk about it very, very openly. And then they would talk about their own feelings in regards to themselves as a brand. And so the, you know, the term brand of me surfaced around that time. These are not new concepts and they predate social media. The thing I, I am like trying to unpack here is like how much of social media was already there just waiting to jump out. And maybe well, there was MTV. That was maybe the first sort of uh, branded visual experience where you see different styles of music that are tied to different brands, and yeah. then you can choose your identity. But it's still still all prepackaged, so you have like twelve options that you can combine. Yeah, but I'm I'd be remiss if I didn't like uh, like go even further back and talk about the the reason I was saying that's normative is I thought you were talking about like 1960s television. Like if you're watching the Brady Bunch in the 1960s that was like talking at you right they're like this is society you know it's coming at you this through is good through, this is yeah bad. here's the pipe yeah. shove it down your throat and then well, it's the same with star wars yeah. yeah yeah and then artists um started to disrupt that but it was really because of technology became accessible you know so the first video cameras that you could afford though they weren't super cheap some people were able to get their hands on them and then start to make their own tv and then coming out of the performance movement of that time and flexes there were all these like there was cable access that started through people doing their own news organizations or like collective television stations like ant farm and they would go around the united states interviewing normal people or talking you know documenting unheard yeah, stories it- you can always flip it, and then the most rebellious one becomes the most commercial one. Like in 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 the movie uh, "Sorry to Bother You," where they're like, "We're gonna pay you to be the leader of the rebellion, and then we'll have an insider." Mm-hmm. So a marketing, but I I even once talked to I was in Berlin and talking to another artist who grew up in East Berlin, and I was so curious, like, what was it like to grow up in East Berlin in communism? It's very exotic for me. Yeah, I often find that people in the modern world who like communism did not grow up in communism. <laughs> you know, that's true. But I, I, yeah. So anyone I've spoken to who grew up in communism is not. Well, here's a question though. Like, would it, no, no, but know. to finish the story, he, he was like, yeah, we, we did have punk music and things like that, yeah. but it was like 10 years later. And then there was a band that everyone was following. And it turned out that the most popular punk idol in 1987 was part of the secret police. And he was there to spy on everyone. <laughs> Well, I did have a friend who lived in um, East Berlin and would get, there was like a black market, like they told me there was a black market and you could like. Yeah, like tape trading. Yeah. And so there were like, it was, she, I was like, was it hard to get such and such music or whatever? She's like, no, no, you would just go to this like special kind of store. Now they wouldn't have like tons of a thing, but you could request and then it would get delivered to you or whatever. But it was delayed. I think it would be four years later. Right, right. But she, I was like, didn't you live in like rags and like, you know, you know, you just had the lineup for bread. And she's like, no, it wasn't like, wasn't that. I still had a teenage No, life. no. He, he also told me like German communism was not as harsh as Russian communism. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But the, the point I was trying to make earlier was that like the, the view that we're more narcissistic now, that there is like we're in this social media era I when I was a kid and then reflecting back on the 1960s when people first got video cameras the first thing they do is they try and recreate mainstream media as a form of taking back control and so like the first mo- movies I made with friends were like I was a news anchor or something like that right or I was acting out whatever was out in the world and so why do we want to do that right like oh, the point I'm trying to make is like there is an innate desire especially at that age it's also to- sometimes it's just funny 
because it's very familiar and like in the same way it's funny to make jokes right now about Instagram mm -hmm. in the 80s it's just funny to make a fake soap opera like the way Twin Peaks was a spin on the soap opera format so you could see it as like oh this is a power grab and you're trying to assert your power or is it just funny because it's familiar material well so well like I think parody is the first and like and copying is the first way someone comes to terms with understanding a medium right like and then they can start to break it up and do different things yeah. with it. Um, I I think what you the point you made earlier is, up until just recently, it wasn't possible for the whole world to kind of be your audience while you're exploring that, right? Like you're and also while you're developing. Like yeah. normally you wouldn't be on TV. I guess Michael Jackson was on TV when he was five. So well, know. we could point to those examples, but generally speaking... But it didn't work out well yeah. for him. Let's put it that way. As Warhol said, like, everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. But, like, you know, the redaction or the, the redo of that statement is he just didn't know that everyone was going to want it every 15 minutes of every day, right? So, <laughs> um, And so, like, we're, we're definitely... It, that, that hasn't changed, but I just think, like, the curve is... Or the signal is stronger. Um and then I guess the, there's just remaining questions about whether, like, because you can't have an audience. This is the thing that I guess, here's the thing I want to dispel is like, as someone who's made work for the internet, if you are performing on the internet today and you have an audience, you're in the vast minority, you know, and, and we're speaking on this podcast, we don't have a huge audience, right? Um, we're probably, there's, there's this middle of people that comprises most of the internet, like 99% of the internet has less than yeah, 5,000 people. There's some, there's some uh, statistic. It's like half a percent creation, 2% curation, and the rest is viewers. Right. And it's, it's really extreme. And yeah. some people talk about this explosion of niches, right? So you can, have, you know, there's the idea of a thousand followers or 10,000 followers, and that's all you need to sustain a career now or something like, so it used to be like a million people watch MTV at this hour on this day. Now it's like 10,000 people watch 10,000 people anytime they want. But yeah. um, I think it's still an open question about what that, what that disaggregation does. Cause yeah. on, in theory, that sounds like a really good thing, right? Like more people, getting more of what they want. But we've seen politically speaking, that can be hazardous because it creates divisions rather than unify. Like in speaking about the Euro difference between Europe and the United States, I'm surprised the United States didn't figure this out like 50 years ago. Hey, we should put media in the hands of the individual because, you know, that's the individual pursuit of freedom. Like it's, it's written in the constitution. Let's just let them run versus the European ideal of like together, we will make this better society, this post-war kind of movement. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, except to say, like, there's a there's a politic embedded in the psychology of all of this that's um, unspoken. And but one one of the things that's interesting is that if we dial it back to the movie, yeah. um, the idea of rebellion, which is part of growing up and being dissatisfied with uh, whatever's in front of you and wanting to change things or wanting to stake your claim or carve your niche or find your area. And she does that at the end of the movie a little bit. She's like, okay, I'm accepting that I'm not a popular girl and I'm going to tell the popular no, girl. No, that's, that that's a great stupid. point. That's a really, really good point. And, yeah. and, and that's why I mentioned punk as the, the, the best example of extreme antagonizing teenagers. Um, it's a, it was saying, like a new niche that said, hey, we don't need to fit into your, norm, yeah. your normative but it, niche. It, yeah. it feels like the times we live in now, and I really mean now, like the last three months, that... 
maybe before the authority figure was your parents mm -hmm. and like oh you guys are lame and materialistic these 50s parents and you go to church and fuck that um, but now it's more the government is the oppressor and that's the rebellion interesting yeah like there's um like their movements have never been larger or more catalyzed than they are right now right like <clears throat> the ability to well maybe that's not true because the civil rights movement was huge it's a you know million man march all this stuff right yeah and there were less people back then but it is demographically probably more diverse than ever so there are more people well i don't know if that's true and then instagram comes in the mix or social media where uh, you can make something appear huge uh through just performance it, kind of yeah, like you can see a riot in a in a city and you think the whole city's on fire, but it's three <clears throat> Well, there's this rule like in branding or any market <clears throat> that's worth kind of like just bringing up. We're going to go over time on this podcast. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> there's too much to talk about. But like in in if you're in marketing or you're establishing a new category, it's like a rule of innovation. Like if you're first to market, you have this first mover advantage, right? And because you're first, there's early, the early adopters in that market, if it's a real need, they're going to throw their money at you and you're going to get all of these people telling each other about this thing and you're going to grow really quickly on the backs of these early adopters. Now, the problem can be is and you don't have to spend any money on advertising during this time. Like magically, people just show up at your door and the product doesn't even have to be that great. Like think of early Teslas or something like that. You could just throw an electric motor and a Lotus. It's new. It's, it's new. It's good. I want to be there. Right. And then as the market matures, the, those the types of people run out. And you're like, why is the growth of my company slowing? And other competitors come online, and then those early people are like, well, this one's newer and shinier. I'm going to go over there, right? And suddenly, you were, you know, your hockey stick flattens out. And you're like, well, what do I do? I mean, it's like so competitive. And to paint a picture, Apple was in this position, like in the 19... 90s apple like you know just received customers we're the only desktop computer come to us or the only graphic user interface and then by the mid 90s they're nearly bankrupt right so how does that happen well competitors come along they copy the best stuff and they do it for half the price right so at, there comes a point in in the definition of any new media or you could say any new category where you you reach this limit and then you have to differentiate in different ways. Like you have to, there has to be a sub niche that you explore because, you know, or you have to market, you have to get people's hearts and minds. And that's why marketing budgets go through the roof because they basically, I'm going to, how, how about if I paid you <laughs> to like this? Would you like it then? And you're like, yeah, sure. If you paid me. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, except to say like the internet and your individual brand on the internet kind of goes through the same thing. Like being early on the internet, I can remember just getting, viewers because I had videos on the internet, right? It would just be like, I have a video on the internet. Be like, whoa, video on the internet? Yeah, Who cares yeah, what's yeah. in the video? And then over time, uh, it became like, okay, well, what are you doing differently than the, what, like 8 billion other people on the internet? I mean, there's not that many people on the internet yet. Uh, hashtag digital divide. But like, I guess where I'm going with this is like, um, I don't know, help me get back on track, but essentially we're well, in this moment I, of the internet I, I, where it's completely I, yeah. saturated and we're looking I, for I think there, there is a, a thing about the internet. It, it seems, and maybe it's just the way this movie chose this girl and this angle, but it seems everyone's really trying to be popular. And I think a big part of being a teenager is also saying fuck you and being selfish. So um, when I say like, oh, the new protest movement is like, coming together and demanding a better life yeah 
maybe the whole idea of rock and roll and teenage rebellion came from being very safe. So then you can say like, okay, fuck you, fuck the queen, whatever. And now it's more like we have to come together and be practical. But in market terms, like to make this a business argument, which <laughs> Always is ridiculous. Always a cynical marketeer. <laughs> in market terms, that'd be like a brand saying. How can we make a dollar out well, of this? No, but it would be like a brand saying like, you know what? Uh, we're out, you know, um, we don't, we're not interested in, in creating value. And I like, it's not probably not won't make sense as long as I look at this through the lens of capitalism. The only way you could get out of this is if you're like, if people resigned that capital, be it social capital, or, you know, monetary capital was not, yeah, likes was not, dollars none whatever. of that's important, right. And they'd have to say, like, yeah. actually, there's something inside of me that's inherently valuable that I don't want others to have access to. Um, it's valuable. Yeah, that, that's me. what I. I mean, this movie is very powerful, but it also she's set up as such an extreme where um, there's nothing particular about her. She's so. Um, the only thing that's that's touching about her is that she's lonely. Mm-hmm. Other than that, she doesn't appear to have anything unique about her. Right. And I, I guess a lot of people are that way. I just the great irony from a branding standpoint, though, is like. She will. She will definitely be the stronger brand in ten years, right? Like, because yeah, yeah, yeah. she won't but have I'm, any I'm easy answers. When when you were a teenager, maybe there were more unique attributes to you. Um, like I think the bottom line for my teenage life and still to this day is what I lean into is like, I anytime I tried to be the cool kid, I was so bad at it. <laughs> like yeah. it, none of it came naturally to me. There's a, there's a book by Kurt Vonnegut about uh, an abstract expressionist, and there's a, a moment where someone is applying to art school, mm-hmm. and they're really good at drawing, and the art school is like, yeah, we can't have you because you're really good at everything, and art is based on when you can't figure something out and you figure out a new solution. Yeah. So it, it, art is it, modern art is all about people who don't know how to draw well and then figure out something else. They've They've said, like, we'll reinvent the game. Yeah, and so someone who's just trying to be Kim Kardashian is just not interesting, and someone who then flips it and does something opposite. Like, I don't even know how to stand up straight. I'm like a 40-year-old man who still has the hunch from... Well, she has that, too, yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't... It doesn't feel right. I don't know. I, I can't stand naturally. I don't... I, can't move, I still can't move my body. At that age, your body's changing so much that it's, like, normal that you can't move it. But I'd say, like, even today, like, I, I'm pretty clumsy. Um, yeah. So, I, I, but but you're a very social person, and you get along with a lot of people, and you like being with people. And but I think she, you know, she provides advice throughout the the movie that's kind of solid. <laughs> and one of the things yeah. is like, if you want to be confident, you just have to act confidently, right? <laughs> and I, I've noticed among a lot of the people that I thought were really confident that I've gotten to know better, including like you know heads of companies or you know you or myself, like just other artist friends. That when I talk to them one on one, it's so satisfying to find out how not confident they are you know and how you know there's relative confidence in a situation like yeah if i would have to you know drive to work i'm not worried about driving anymore i've done it so many times right or yeah i'm not worried about putting your shoelaces not worried about putting on an exhibition oh, no, you have elastic shoelaces right yeah yeah exactly i don't have to worry i actually still can't really properly tie my shoelaces but like you, you have relative confidence, but there's still macro things that you never get confident about. Like, am I a good person would be one of the ones, right? Like, uh, like have I done enough, you know, for others? Yeah. Um, or, it, or have I treated myself that, well enough? 
What do you think that even though the movie is about kind of a bland person, she's because uh, most movies in general are about a hero and the hero has unique qualities that are above average. <coughs> and she's very average. Like, there's nothing you you can't say like, oh, she's really good at there's nothing. So other than that, she wants to be happy and fit in. There's nothing about her. So what is it about this movie that makes you so emotionally involved more than any other movie about being a teenager, I think? Yeah, I think that the good point is that like we actually never really progress beyond the point that she's in. Like, I my 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 thought was as I was watching it, I don't think but, I'm. But the, why does this movie succeed so well in that it, it it ties you in so much? I think to to the point you made earlier, which is that we have this bizarre in the in most coming of age stories, this idea that we actually grow or change. Um, it's like the goose and your little ugly goose and then you turn into a swan or I don't know the word in English. Yeah, but, but we actually just learn like like we learn software. We just learn new ways to perform that get us past like we learn the words to say. But we actually But cinematically, why why did this movie succeed so well, you think? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't want that point to be lost though that like I don't think that any of us ever grow up. We just learn how to behave so more socially correctly. But you feel correctly. like most most teenage movies pretend that you grow out of your shell and become awesome yeah like it doesn't make any sense none of it really makes any sense and it is existential but like the fact is we get more existentially anxious as we grow older we don't get less um i you'll hear people especially now that i'm 40 say like yeah yeah once i was 40 i like stopped giving a fuck and you know that that that's their um proclamation that hey i've made it right like um but they also are extremely depressed because they're like is this all there is and honestly like that's the in when you turn 30 like you lose hope and that it take it, well, uh, at, at every, takes away the fear but it also takes away the excitement. yeah just like from going from middle school to high school like there are these moments where we think there's going to be this big change but there isn't and then we're forced to reconcile that life is this is really like the, illu the an illusion of time and progress where i'm not saying people can't learn actually i'm saying that's all people do is learn but who they are, you know, it's a process of becoming comfortable more or less expressing that without giving a fuck what you hear back, right? And so... It is very unique at that age that you have these buildings that are tied to eras of your life. And I remember going to high school, like you're 13, and then you, you go from primary school to high school. And then for some reason, like I'm picking up my sister at the primary school, and you're like, wow, these people are tiny. Mm-hmm. And it's just like half a year difference, but it's like, whoa, their <laughs> coats are tinier, their bags They're are tiny tinier, little humans, the tables yeah. are tinier. But I used to remember what? talking to my parents and they would say, I'd be like, don't you, you know, how do you feel now that you turn like 50 or 60 or whatever? Like, I feel like I'm 17 years old. And I'd be like, haha, that's such a cliche thing to say. Like, but the, the continuity of time is like, you know, especially at that age is so compressed. Like I can remember yeah. just as well as I did 20 years ago feeling like 11 and feeling super vulnerable um, and still feel that way. I still fucking felt that way this week at work as like a major director at a, at a, at a large software company. And it, like for me not to say I, I, I feel like an 11 year old, I think would be a blatant lie. Um, and even when I'm making new art, like I, I surprise myself when I do well, like this is still something where I'm not like, yeah. Oh, this is going to be brilliant. Like I'm like, Whoa, Okay, I actually like what I just did. That's a well, surprise. Well, that, that to me makes a lot of sense. That's separate from growing up, but uh, that it's the same uh, problem with nostalgia, that if you look at the past, 
you can see mistakes and successes, but everything's secure. So you can look at the past and say, like, that worked, that didn't work. And then when you think about the future, you could imagine the worst and the best. And it's it's really hard to have confidence in the future the same way. We're like, yeah, you know, humans generally figure things out and it'll be okay. And, uh, and that's the same as an artist. Like, you made a couple of works you liked in the past, and then there's no guarantee you'll make a good work tomorrow. Totally, and that's why, like, experience is this... And there's tons of examples of people that become lame that were cool before, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's hard for us to admit that, like, we might accumulate... Like, the risk of fucking up might not be lower. Like, you're paying me more for less risk, apparently, like, if I'm in a corporate context, but you probably shouldn't. Like, there is... You know, it doesn't really make sense. Um, Where do people go after 50? Well, the thing is, like, there's, there's no reason to even have these delineations. They're, they're about that's like about hierarchy. And one of the things I think you, you know, so you asked, like, why is this film pull it off? I, you know, I was watching, yeah. like, it's not easy. I was watching interviews though with the cast, especially the younger cast, and they were saying, like, Bo actually treats us like an adult. Like we're creatively contributing to the film, and like that, I think, is essentially the point, which is that if we have the if we come in with these illusions that like a kid doesn't know anything like i remember my mother always had this policy of like speaking to us as adults to a harsh point that i still you know feel regretful about or like resentful of at this age but her thing was like why would i dumb this down for you right like how unempathetic is that and i in turn for my whole life have really respected my mother to the point where when she says something that's off color i'm like what the fuck mom that's like not cool (laughs) But we have that level of respect, right? Um, anyway, I... Do you remember the movie Kids? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Similar... That was, that, that's maybe uh, a good reference as far as like growing up in a different era in the pre-internet. Harmony Korine's like, kind of breakthrough movie. Yeah, but it had, it had a same sense of realism, which might, at this point, not feel as real as, as it did then. But. It would be kind of worth re-looking at Kids because it was kind of called out as like... as. Yeah, for that generation, for that Gen X generation. I think after the, the the sort of things now becoming more PC, I think that movie is pretty shocking from today's lens. I don't know if things are more PC, though. I just think that we've reached a point of uh, another breakthrough, right? So, like, every, at every step, because I, I was reflecting on that this week. I, yeah, well, whatever you call it, but yeah. I think that movies definitely feels from a different era. Yeah, that doesn't mean there's not lessons in there, too. But anyway, it might be something we look at next. We're, no, we're deciding we're not going to declare the next movie uh, anymore in the podcast because we need time to like Sorry, guys. reflect. <laughs> well, we're, it's too much We pressure. just want to make last-minute decisions. Yeah, <laughs> it was like too much planning for us to yeah. handle. We went past our planning threshold. Anyway, we've kind of gone over time, but I, I think I found this movie really fascinating on, on a, bunch, a bunch of vectors, but also I found myself questioning. It's always my goal to find a movie that... I like, and the Kristen also likes that. That's the si- Kristen is the silent third critic. So, so, next, so next week we do Rambo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what we'll do next week, but we have one thing. I think it's interesting about the podcast is we keep um, debating reality, and cinema really de- does seem to be embedded in this debate over um, natural. What's natural? What's real? Yeah, much more than abstract painting. Yeah, probably because it's realism is inescapable in terms of its actual image. Um, but we might want to consider films that explore the surreal. Like we've talked about Gondry a few times and, and others who... Did you see The Act of Killing, that movie? No, I haven't seen that. Okay, that kind of explores the surreal in a strange 
realistic way. But. And surreality is just one way we can like sort of think about it. Sorry to bother you had a surreal element. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We did talk about that early on. And then he had the Michel Gondry references. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's true. <laughs> they had the conflict. <laughs> that's all there is. There's Michel Gondry and... Yeah. And those that Did are you see? Oh, I saw it today. Michelle Gondry made an ad for Burger King because they make cows that fart less. Oh, okay. Do they? The, do, the, ca- do the cows are farting too much, and there's too much methane, and then they change their feed, and then they, it's a 25 percent less farts or something. And so they asked Michelle Gondry to make an ad. It's weird. Oh, okay. Well, that's very Burger King. Like, if you want me to do a whole podcast episode on Burger King, Burger King marketing. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about McDonald's before, but how does Burger? They're the edgy fast food. Chain. Well, how can Burger King, by the way, Brazilian company, how can it compete uh, against McDonald's? Very interesting co- topic yeah. of conversation, but for another time, I think. <laughs> Um, yeah. That's all I've got for this week, I think. But uh, I guess the bottom line for our audience to think about is like, has the internet changed the way you behave? Did it change your youth, or like, do you do you see, you know, do you see the kids well, around the, you behaving the differently? The weird thing about comparing eras is that you can't time travel, so it's not like you can try different fast food restaurants and make a review. Like you can't. I know this is the thing up. that's yeah. the, the little goblin on my shoulder is saying, God, like my mom's mom was upset about Elvis and the gyrating, like sexual behavior of that. And it's like the, the idea of um, the idea that our generation is any different than the last one is so ridiculous. And so well, it's, it's this true narcissism. I, I sent you that movie, the same director as Il Posto made a movie about peasants in Bergamo, Italy and, late 19th century 1870s 80s and you see how there was no teenage the idea of being a teenager it didn't exist you were a child and then you started working (laughs) right yeah you know the 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 the, the being a teenager is a a consequence of prosperity yeah so there's definitely like that movie is there's no electricity involved in the in the life of those people. There's hardly any lights even, and everything they do is together. There's no concept of alone. They all sleep in one room with the chi- five children in a bed and the parents. That's a very different way of growing up. Like th- there's no way you can be lonely in that scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they had time to be depressed. It's just like you're just surviving. You're just uh, grabbing food out of the ground to eat. But I think even in the realm of you know at least in the realm of Ugh, I hate to cite science, but like brain development would still be active up until a certain age, right? So, yeah, but you're already having kids at seven. You're like a parent. Mm-hmm. And I I think it. You can say like, oh, was it that different in the eighties and now? And but if you see that movie about the eighteen seventies, it's like, yeah, that was different. Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt, no doubt. Like, um, yeah, I've often cited like there's very few social differences except for the industrial revolution. And yeah, um, yeah. stuff like that. And I do think that the, the human brain has a capacity of dealing with emotions that no matter what situation you put in, you can find joy, joy or sorrow. And depending on your personality and but still, the, it, there's a difference growing up as a peasant in the 1880s or being a suburban kid in the 2010s or 20s. But embedded in all this debate is this idea that technology somehow is what progresses society that's the thing that i think is like fundamentally flawed and well it, 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 it's funny there's these basic emotions like falling in love and and whether you fall in love in the 1870s or now you, you fall in love mm-hmm. like you you see someone you want them to want you etc and you fall in love uh, but um it, it, it's just funny 
like yeah. thinking about the things that upset us and thinking about how hard life was in the 1880s. I mean, medicine has advanced, I guess, but like, so you get 10 more years. Yeah. They've been showing that, oh, this is the first well, generation that it, lives maybe, less long. Maybe, I, maybe we should watch that movie. The, the, it's called the, the, the Tree of Wooden Clogs. It's a oh, yeah. three and a half hour movie. So it's, it's, <laughs> but you did I don't say, know if we'll do it next time or, or the, uh, the time after. But could it be a great be contrast, though. Wooden Clogs versus Instagram. and. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole crux of that movie is that the, the dad wants to, make, wants to replace the soul of the clogs of his son because he has to walk to school in the winter. Yeah. And he cuts down a branch of a tree and they get evicted for that reason. It's very sad. It's like, and people die all the time. Well, I'm going to watch it anyway. I mean, I think it's worth putting on the map. I, I, I thought of you, of the movie, because you're so much into empathy and social awareness and see how hard life was and how hard life is still for a large part of the world. A lot of people are surviving. They're not, you know. Well, that's the other thing, right? Like, is that there are all these, yeah. I don't know. I always say America's great at advertising, right? So the idea that, more people have been lifted out of prosperity. And there's there's also like TED Talks on like that show the data. Yeah, actually we have, but it doesn't preclude the fact that there are still this, those who are suffering and those who are not, yeah. right? And that that's an... And, and then there's the weird idea, and this is a very decadent idea. I don't know, even know if it's true. I'm just throwing it out there. That the idea of depression and suicide can only exist in prosperity. That if you're scrambling for food every day, you, you don't even have time to be depressed. But I don't know if that's true. It's just a hunch. Yeah, you've always cautioned me, though, that these universal blanket statements are just like, and I think it's the one, it's one of the greatest things I've learned from you is it's like, there's nothing, um, that that's not helpful, right? It's not, it's not helpful to believe mm. it's one way or another. No, but there, there is the idea that, as you said, like suicide rates are up, anxiety is up. Mm. Is that a... This I'm really not trying to say it's true. I'm just wondering, is it when everything's provided for, when you have food and shelter and health and schooling, and then you feel bad, and so there's nothing else for you to strive for because materially you're provided for, mm -hmm. and then you feel like shit. It's like, oh, that's you. This, the system is not against right. you. Your parents, there's no generational conflict. There's nothing to be angry about. Well, you do about. make you're a good point. Because when you're in eighth grade, I, I, and this is not like to avoid generalization, not for everyone, but when you're in eighth, eighth grade, for a lot of children, most of their necessities are taken care of. And yeah, they, it's the period in your life, like until you're 16 or something, that uh, you never worry about money because it's just, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I started working when I was... Um, I guess when I was thirteen or fourteen, and then I had I was a freelancer and started my business when I was sixteen. But you didn't you didn't have to pay rent. You're, you're making no. money, and then you can do fun stuff. Well, I wanted to leave home when I was eighteen. My mom was like, "Well, you're gonna have to pay your own rent." And so then I was like, "Oh shit, I better find some new clients." But like, it was I, I grew up in a very different context. At the same time, I had this great social safety net in the form of my parents being like, "I can remember not being able to pay my first credit card bill," and I was so ashamed. Because I, my mom had taught me how to manage credit, and by the way, that's like a super bougie thing that I had access. How to. old were you? I was around eighteen or nineteen at the time, mm. or I no, I was probably I was probably twenty actually, because I had moved out by then, and I was like so ashamed that I had a credit card bill and I didn't have enough revenue, so my cash I was cash flow negative, and I was always about paying down my full credit every month, and that was something that my mom had ingrained, ingrained in me. Anyway, so I, she was like, I'll help you out this one time, but next time you're out on the street, it's like that. It's like, um, 
But, you know, like... you. Yeah, yeah, but we're talking about a 14, 13... Exactly, like, you know, and that would never have happened. She, would have, she wouldn't have kicked me out on the street, but it was just but, like... But, so, I, I don't know if this is true. Like, if, if there's less depression, if you actually have to fight for your food, but that, that's a very troubling thought also, so... Yeah, totally. Anyway, I think we're, yeah. we're kind of um, going around in loops now, but I, I didn't enjoy the film. I thought someone trying to evoke the feeling of being on the internet is was it felt real to me it felt like something that yeah. i grew up with even well, though it, it, it's so real that it's hard to watch yeah. yeah yeah but it also feels like i might just be in eighth grade still <laughs> like i haven't progressed but yeah or you're a human being exactly yeah, yeah. anyway thanks for listening okay. and um Thank you. yeah like it's not lost on us that this is oh, we forgot to talk about the music in the movie always oh and yeah which was written by the director i think a lot of it right yeah, but it's like every character has a theme. So when the cool guy walks in, you hear oh yeah, like cool synth music, electronic music, yeah. and yeah, it was. Yeah. And then there's a lot of silence. All the awkward movies that they, they draw out the silence, <laughs> the awkward moments. No, right? it was good. Um, yeah, but it's also a lot not lost on me that like we're very much you and I like, um, you know, performing for a small audience of listeners. <laughs> And <laughs> like and subscribe, thank yeah, you. Yeah, like and subscribe, and also Gucci. You know, we've also said on the podcast we don't care; it's for us. But every once in a while, we still do look at the stats, and we still love hearing from folks because um, I don't know, like I don't know why we care about that, but I do personally care that we're doing something positive versus harm. That's just like my inherent vibe. I don't know what your feeling is, what your motivation is personally. What is your motivation? My motivation is it's fun to do. Well, there you go. Well, and I also enjoy talking to you and our friendship matters to me. Yeah. Um, and it it feels like as you grow older, the only way to keep friends is by doing something together. It's the best I think thing. that's a, I don't, uh, yeah, it's a sad thing though. Like my dad has no friends now because he's retired. You know, it's like, he stopped working. He has no friends. We got to figure out a hack to that. Anyway, um, thanks again for listening. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe, Gucci. <laughs> yeah, Gucci. That's not a real thing, right? Gucci. Anyway, let's go. All right. We can listen to some of the music on our way out. Yeah.